Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Good morning. When I became a member at Trinity, our associate pastor noted how I'd been kicking and screaming the whole journey since I came to faith right here at this church on Good Friday 2014. Even about becoming a member, I'd been kicking and screaming, he said. And he was correct. (laughs) You see, the way of the kingdom is so profoundly different from the way the world works that in most cases, it is diametrically opposite. Now, for someone who tried so hard and for so long and in many ways so successfully to do things the world's way, for a long time and still sometimes, it just seems too good to be true. You mean I don't have to feel guilty? No. But I've done some bad things. (laughs) Sometimes or often, I still do them. I know. But still, nope, no condemnation, never. Okay. But what about who I am? (laughs) I'm entitled, I'm impatient, I'm terribly insecure, I'm horribly arrogant, I always think I'm right, and I am filled with self-doubt. I... Nope, no, that's actually not who you are anymore. I'm changing all of that. The old you is dead, and the new you has come. I am sanctifying you. You are my daughter. You are a princess. Okay, Lord, I said, "Mm -hmm, fine. But surely I should be ashamed. (laughs) I mean, you saw what I did. No. Those who believe in me won't ever be shamed. Ever. Fine, fine. But I have to do something, right? I've got to earn this somehow. I've got to pick myself up by some bootstraps, right? Nope. Nothing to do. It's already done. Hmm. Well, y'all, I tried. I tried arguing out of it at times. Why, even just last week, I thought, okay, forget this whole Christian thing. I can feel this phase of my life ending like so many before have. But then that was how God got me. I'd already tried all the alternatives to him before I surrendered my life to him, and all of them had come up empty eventually. I knew very well that striving for someone or something or some place brought me only pain and frustration in the end, unless it was chasing after Jesus Christ. That brought me change sometimes by painful, infinitesimal baby steps, sometimes huge differences quickly. Jesus shows me who he is, and he is magnificent, and I love him. So this whole idea of this faith phase of my life ending, that's a lie. (laughs) When he found me, Jesus looked at me and the whole mess that I, the high-achieving, wild child, world-traveling, hurricane roller coaster ride, had left in my path in my past, and he says, very calmly, even when I am freaking out, (laughs) okay, let's get to it. He says, surrender. Give it all to me. Every worry, every fear, every regret. (laughs) 
Leave it all to me at my feet. Nail it to the cross. You don't need to do anything ever again except come to me. Give it to me, whatever it is. Take my lead. Trust me. Oh, you'll start behaving, but not because of trying. (laughs) It's because I am making a new thing here, little lady. Because in me, the old you is dead, sweet girl. And by my strength inside you, the Holy Spirit, you are righteous. And by my stripes, you are healed. And by my cross, you are saved. You are free. It is for freedom that I have set you free. Believe, because it is already finished. And so I did. Sometime along the way, after stumbling into this place, hiding in this place, running away from this place, thinking I would die of shame in this place, I do believe. And the Lord helps me in my unbelief. My name is Lena Ank, and I am all in. Our reading this morning is from the book of Genesis, chapter 2. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper, helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man." That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Lena. Well done. So last week we started this series called All In, where we are talking about the power of making and keeping commitments. And we looked at Elisha and the fact that that he, or the, the commitment that he made to God and, and to Elijah, that he went all in. He burned the plow. There was no going back. So as we're talking about commitments, I don't think that there is a, an area of our lives that is uh, where people are, are more commitment-averse than in the area of relationships. And so this morning, we're going to talk about what committed relationships look like. To get us started, what I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to get in small conversation groups, um, three or four people just kind of huddled together. I'd like for you to introduce yourself, and then I'd like for you to answer this question. Um, What characteristics do you look for in a good friend? What, What characteristics... Um, what are the characteristics of a good friend? What do you value in a good friend? Okay, so turn, introduce yourselves, and take about 90 seconds to, to answer this question.
All right. So, what were some of the characteristics you came up with? Honesty, trustworthy, loyalty, sorry, faith, safe, humble, communication, sorry, kindness. Somebody said in the first service, hair. I thought, well, that leaves me out. Um, so I was married on August the 4th, 1984. And guys, if you're married, um, you need to remember your wedding day, just FYI. Okay. So I will never, ever forget watching Deanne walk down the aisle toward me, how stunning she looked. And the fact that she walked up to me and she took my hand, she put a ring on my finger and then she said these amazing words. She said, I take you. For better or for worse, I take you. Those, those are some of the most powerful and profound and wonderful and anxiety-producing words you will ever hear. And they're anxiety-producing because of all the what-ifs, right? What if I change? What if she changes? What if, if life circumstances change? What if... We don't agree on everything. What if she thinks the toilet paper ought to go over when the Bible teaches it goes over? Um, you, know, you know, what if? We, we struggle with that. I take you for better, for worse. Why do human beings do this? Interestingly, there are more and more people today saying that maybe we shouldn't. More and more people are saying that human beings were not made for um, committed relationships, that biologically we are not suited for that because emotionally people change. They, they um, feel things differently over time. People move on. They change what they want out of life. Our affections change, which is why more and more people are saying, I think it might be best, might be safest to just kind of avoid commitment, to put it off, to, to not keep it. People will move in together, but they'll put off marriage. People will hook up but not take relationships that seriously. People are looking for no strings attached or friends with benefits or uh, Netflix and chill, which I just found out recently is not about watching TV. Um, So be careful with that one. And technology makes this even more convenient You know, when I was in college, if you wanted to ask someone out, you actually had to call them on the phone, which oddly enough was attached to the wall. (laughs) And that took guts, that took courage. 
But today, on your smartphone, there's an app that you can use that will help you to meet up and hook up and shack up and even break up, all with the touch of a button. But see, technology is not our problem. Our way of thinking about commitment and relationships is our problem. Living in a culture where it seems like the, the, the prevailing concept is that the best way to enjoy life or freedom or autonomy or sex is to avoid the constraints and limitations of commitment. See, our problem is um, us. Our problem is commitment. And there's data that supports this. According to a uh, 2014 report by Pew Research, 20% of adults, that's one out of every five, ages 25 and older, have never been married. That's up from 9% in 1960. So in 1960, it was one out of 10. To 2014, it was one out of five. A survey from 2010 showed almost half of the young adults between the ages of 18 and 29 in our country think marriage has become obsolete. We're replacing, for better or for worse, with I take you at least until I don't want you anymore. You see, this is about far more than data. It's about our lives. It's about you. It's about me. Now, I know there are a lot of different stories in this room. Um, Some of us are single. Some of us are married. Some of us are single but want to be married. Some of us are in relationships. Some of us are just out of a relationship. Some of us are in a friends with benefits kind of thing. Some of us are in a friends without benefits, which sounds much worse but is actually much healthier. Um, Some of you have lost someone you love. There are a lot of different scenarios represented here this morning. But here's what's true for all of us. We all want intimacy with someone. We all want intimate relationships. And let me just say right here that my relational history is far from perfect. I stand with you in the mess of it. I stand with you in the the hurt of it. There are decisions that I would make differently. There are people that I would treat differently. I'm certainly not an expert on this. I speak as a fellow relational struggler. But I want to be all in. I want to be all in in my relationship with God And what that means is that I need to be all in in my relationships with people. And so I think it's very important that we wrestle with what commitment means in the context of relationships. So let's start with the why. Um, We're going to look at three, three questions. The why of committed relationships, the what of committed relationships, and the how of committed relationships. So let's start with the why. Why should people commit to one another? Isn't it just safer to avoid commitment? In one of the studies that I was reading as I was preparing for this, one of the reasons it gave for 
why more and more teenagers are having sex without relationship. And this is the reason it gave, and I'm not making this up. They said being in relationship with a person was difficult and even annoying. You think? I mean, who have you ever met who's not annoying at least some of the time? Right? Is this what it really boils down to? That committed relationships are just too risky, they're, they're too burdensome, they're too annoying, they're, they're too potentially painful? Well, yeah, they are. But can I tell you what's even a greater risk? It's the risk of avoiding commitment. There's a, a research project that some of you may have heard of. It's called the Grant Study. Anybody familiar with the Grant Study? A uh, couple people. So the Grant Study is the longest-running study on uh, human development in history. It started in 1938 at, at uh, some school up outside of Boston, um, Harvard, which, never mind. Um, so it, it started in 1938, and what they did was for 75 years, they tracked 268 people. They took them, they, they followed them from their teens into their 80s and 90s. And, and what they wanted to find out was, was there some some factor in in their lives that would consistently point to what leads to happiness. So for 75 years, they followed these people. And this is not a Christian study. But what they found is that there's one thing that, that correlated to happiness. And it wasn't accumulated wealth. It wasn't success. It wasn't fame. It wasn't uh, reputation. It, it wasn't even social impact. What they found was that there was one thing that consistently um, made people happy. And you know what that was? Lasting relationships. Committed relationships. You see, what they found was that happiness comes from a who, not from a what. Here's an FYI. Scripture's been teaching that for thousands of years. When God created human beings, he said in Genesis 2.18, it is not good for the man to be alone. And this isn't, by the way, the man complaining. It's not the man saying, hey, what about me? This is God saying, it's not good for the man to be alone. And this is a remarkable statement when you think about the context in which he said it. This is, he's saying this in a world without sin. I mean, everything is right in the world. The, the markets are up, the rent is down, the cowboys are winning. Everything is right in the world. And God looks at the man and he says, but that's not good. 
Adam lacked a committed relationship. He lacked someone who was committed to him, someone to whom he could be committed. And so what does God do? Well, as Lena read for us, God parades all the animals in front of him, I think, so that Adam would go, um, that's not like me, and that's not like me, and that's not like me, and that's not like me. Where is something, someone for me? And then God creates the woman. And it says in verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. This is the language of commitment. The goal is commitment. Some of you will know the old King James uh, version of this text where it talks about leaving and cleaving. That the man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. To leave one's father and mother in this culture means... um, putting one's life and livelihood at risk, all for the sake of commitment. You see, from the very beginning, God designed us to live in the context of committed relationships. It was something that was supposed to be so good for us and so right. Yes, I know people can be annoying. This may surprise you, but even I can be annoying. Our world is filled with such brokenness and pain. But the why of commitment is that from the very beginning, God said, you were not created to do this by yourself. It's not good for you to be alone. You were created to be in committed relationships. That's how we are wired. And that leads to the what question. What kind of relational commitments are we talking about? Is this just about marriage? Is this one of those talks where uh, we're just going to say, well, if you're married, that's good, but if you're not married, better luck next time? Is there any part of this that applies beyond marriage? Answer, absolutely. You know, one of the weaknesses in a lot of churches, and it's not always intentional, is speaking to single people as if they're somehow second-class citizens. You know, uh, you're such a nice guy, so why are you still single? As if singleness was a disease that you needed to get rid of or something. Here's the thing. The Bible doesn't speak about being single as a problem to be corrected. In fact, Christianity was the first major religion to uphold singleness as an honorable and faithful way to live. And don't forget, Jesus was single. The Apostle Paul was single. And he wrote about the gift and the blessing of being single. If we're going to talk about committed relationships... We've got to look at the one who modeled life as life is to be lived, and that's Jesus. And what we see in Jesus is that Jesus had committed relationships. Committed relationships. It wasn't about, you know, having a large social network, not about having 10,000 friends on Facebook. It wasn't about having the most likes on Instagram. It was about committed friendships. Jesus had 12 guys that he really hung with, that he did life with. And then there were three of them that were his BFFs. 
you know, three guys out of the 12 that every now and then he would pull them aside. Hey, hey, we really need to talk. But he had these 12 guys that he did life with. And in John chapter 15, he said, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. Friends. You know, I can't remember a day that I didn't long for a close, committed friend. Do you ever find yourself there? I just wish I had somebody in my life that really knows me, that really cared for me, that I wasn't just some, you know, part of their network or part of, you know, a stepping stone to something else. According to a study in 2006, one out of every four Americans lacks a close friendship. That's tragic to me. Some of you feel the burden even now. The writer of Proverbs put it this way. He says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There are friendships that go deeper than blood ties. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have friends who who speak the truth that you need to hear, not just what you want to hear? Do you have friends that you can call in the middle of the night? Do you have friends that you know have your back regardless? Or maybe a better question is, are you that kind of friend? Are you that kind of friend to someone so that they know you have given them permission. Call me at any time. Ask me for anything. I will drop whatever I'm doing and I will be there for you. We all long for that kind of friendship. But the problem is sometimes life gets in the way. Career. Uh, career. <laughs> I mean... What do, we, what do we prioritize that takes all of our time so that we don't have time to invest in relationships? Jesus was a committed friend. And he had people who were committed to him. And I feel I need to say something to all of you who are single and maybe in the dating world right now. Almost all the messages that you hear in culture um, are about finding the right person. Heard that? Just got to find the right person. There's, a, there's actually a show on television right now where a man or a woman will date 20 to 24 people at the same time in order to find the right person. Can I tell you that it's not about finding the right person? It is about becoming the right person. It is about um, you not looking and looking and looking, but looking at yourself and saying, who do I need to be so that I am the right person? Who, what will I choose so that I will be the right person? That's true for singles and that's true for married people as well. And while I'm on this, this is why God's plan for sex as an expression 
of a life uniting commitment is so, so, so important. And yet it's so misunderstood by so many. I had a conversation with a guy a while back who, who said that, you know, because people are waiting so long to get married these days, it's just unrealistic and naive to think that people will wait to have sex until they get married. He said, you know, people need intimacy now. And so in my, you know, always sensitive Keith way, I said, yeah, I understand the need for intimacy, but what kind of intimacy are you talking about? The intimacy of knowing they're not committed to you? The intimacy of knowing that I will take you at least until tomorrow? Is that the kind of intimacy we're talking about? You see, when we just give ourselves away, that's not intimacy. That journey, that that decision to have sex outside of marriage doesn't lead us toward intimacy. And and here's what you need to know. If even if you're not a Christian, if you're here and you think, I'm not sure the Bible really gets this, I'm not sure the, the church really gets this, I don't think the church is up with culture and, and it's kind of obsolete, and that's an old way of thinking. Statistics today confirm that people who have sex before marriage or if they move in together are are less committed to each other both uh, after they marry, if they marry at all, or if they just shack up. It doesn't lead to intimacy. It actually leads away from that, which is why God designed sex to be part of a life-united, committed relationship. Is this countercultural? Yes. Will people think you're strange if you live this way? Yes. Will it be extremely difficult? Yes. But will it give you the best chance of a lifetime of connection and trust and intimacy? Absolutely. Now, some of you might say, well, what if I've already fallen short? What if I've already messed up in this area of my life? Well, you're in, the right, you're in the right place. I mean, I know sometimes church can, can be kind of judgmental and, and sometimes we, we seem to push people away whose relationships aren't quite what we think they ought to be or if they look a little bit differently than, than we think they ought to look. But I want to encourage you, if that's been your experience with church, don't just take church experience. Look at Jesus. Because what Jesus did is he treated people with respect. Jesus treated people with with honesty and grace and love. There was listening. There was acceptance. There was a vision of life, a better life, a better way of life that he would call people into and, and empower them to live. And that's his invitation for all of us. And, and if I can put in a little plug right here for, for Grave Matters on Tuesday. I know Beth announced it earlier. <coughs> Last Tuesday night, we had a great conversation uh, around response to government. And this Tuesday night at 7 p.m., we're going to be talking about um, sexual attraction and gender identification. And I know that we're not all going to agree on this stuff. And that's okay. 
But what we want to do is we want to create a, a, an atmosphere like Jesus would create. One of listening and one of acceptance and one of, of uh, love and grace and, and empowering to live the life that God has created us to live. So uh, I hope you'll join us on Tuesday night, downstairs, 7 o'clock. Be on time. Actually, be early because we, wanna, we need to start right at 7 because we got a lot to cover. Um, anyway, that's my commercial. All right, I've been rambling a little bit. Let's bring this back. Here's where we are. The why of commitment in relationship is because that's how God has created us. The what of commitment is intimate friendship, and that can happen either inside of marriage or outside of marriage. Which brings us to the how question. How do we do this? How do we keep our commitments? Well, here's the thing. On your own, on your own strength, based on your own willpower or your religious dedication, you can't. I've watched people try. I've watched me try. You can't do it on your own. And the fact is, God did not create committed relationships so that we could live on our own without him. He created committed relationships so that we could recognize every day our need for him, our need for his love, our need for his grace, our need for his power, our, our need for his renewal. We don't be commit because we're strong and noble. We commit because there is a God who's committed to us. I love how, um, how it's framed in 1 John. John says, we love because he first loved us. And the most important word in that verse is not love, it's the word first. You see, Jesus made a promise to you first. Jesus went first. He committed to you first. Before you step into any relationship of any kind, Jesus, <coughs> Jesus made a promise to you first that he would never leave you. He would never forsake you. He would never turn his face away from you. That he would always be there. Guys, God is committed to you. And he did it first. I know life gets pretty messy. Some of us are in a marriage that doesn't feel like it used to feel. And it's gotten a little cold and maybe a little callous. And maybe we're keeping scorecards. Maybe we're throwing ourselves into our work so that we don't have to go home. Maybe we're spending so much time raising our, our kids that um, our marriage is a distant second priority. Maybe some of us are divorced or going through a divorce and, and, and we're saying, well, where was God in that? I don't, I don't feel loved by that. Or maybe we're single and... and and we don't want to be, and there's resentment and bitterness, and we're, where's God in this? Whatever the case, whatever the story, whatever the high, whatever the low, we need to begin and end with the gospel that God made a promise to you first. 
And guys, his yes is stronger than our no. His grace is more powerful than our sin, more powerful than our shame, more powerful than our brokenness. His commitment keeps us even when our commitments fail, which all of them do at times. So here's the nutshell. God has created us for relational commitment. That's the why. And and he's calling us to commit and or renew that commitment and lean into commitment, not because we're religious, but because that's where real happiness, real fulfillment in life uh, is experienced. And we can't do this because we're we're strong enough or good enough or noble enough. We do this because we have put our hope in the one who has loved us first. We do this because we know that love as demonstrated in the cross. Guys, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just say, I love you. He didn't just say, I forgive you. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, I take you for better or for worse. See, that's his promise to us. That's his model for us. And that's what we need to step into. Let me pray for us. Just in the quiet of these moments, I want you to think about some of the what ifs. What if I change? What if I don't feel it anymore? What if I've been hurt before and I don't want to be hurt again? What if I'm lonely? What if God can't meet me in these places? Let me challenge you to to consider another what if. What if God can meet you? What if God's grace is sufficient? What if God's love is enough? What if stepping into relationship with him, committing yourself to relationship with him could change everything? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your commitment to us. I thank you for the demonstration in the cross of just how all in you were for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be all in for you. Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us in in understanding how, how deep your commitment is and how overwhelming your love can be. Help us to experience that, Lord. 
so that then we can operate out of that in our commitments to one another. Lord, we thank you for the cross and we thank you for the empty tomb and we celebrate that today in Jesus' name. Amen.